lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me, and I can say. I'm Tavish Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-15 hour. 1580 that is. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I love um, uh, transformative stories, the power of transformative stories in our community. And um, never too many conversations for me uh, with people who have endured all manner of challenges uh, and made it. Uh, and uh, one of those guests uh, joins us in this hour. It's a truly remarkable individual story uh, that I think will serve as a beacon of inspiration and triumph over adversity. Uh, his name is David R. Sanders. He's now Bishop David R. Sanders. Uh, and as you heard me probably tee up in the last hour, um, incarcerated multiple times, uh, drug use for many years, stabbed, set on fire, Shot nine times. Several of those bullets um, still reside in his being, in his body. But today he serves as the pastor of Victory Deliverance Missionary Outreach Churches of Christ uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and in Galveston, Texas. We'll get all get to all that later, I suspect, in this hour. Uh, but again, it is, it is the uh, transformative power of these uh, these stories of overcoming that always um, bring me to these sorts of conversations when I. Uh, have the time to, to weave them into what we do here every day. And so I am delighted to welcome Bishop David Sanders to this program. How are you, sir? Good to have you on. Man, it's good to be here. How you doing today? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm grateful for <laughs> grateful for today and every day. You sound like me. Yeah, yes, man. Sir. No complaints at all. Just so much to be grateful and thankful for. That's it. And to, to be honest with you, I don't have no room for complaints. I don't have none. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm being honest with that. No, I, I I appreciate that. Let, let let's start with that. We got we got we got the hour here, so we'll work this out. When you said you have no complaints, some might find that um, to be uh, curious, if not disingenuous. I think I take your point, but when you say you have no complaints, unpack that for me. A lot of times, uh, we most of us as Black Afro American Negroes, we complain about just whatever. I didn't get my food stamp. My lights is off. Uh, uh, they done impound the car. Just different things we can complain about. The children not act, the children acting crazy, what have you. I found out when I look at somebody else's situation, and I look at mine, it's peanuts. And I found out that regardless of what I'm going through, um, I'm going to get to the next stage in life. Yeah, no, I I received that. I I I had somebody share with me many many years ago something I've never forgotten. Uh, and uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this, uh, but uh, if you consider uh, that the world is one big bowl of problems, just consider that the world is one big bowl of problems. Uh, and yes. if and if you were given, I was asked this question decades ago. I've never forgotten it to Bishop Sanders. Uh, I was asked, Tavis, uh, if you view the world as a big bowl of problems and God gives you the chance on any given day where you are complaining, uh, to put your problems in the bowl and reach in and pull something else out, do you take the opportunity? <laughs> and the more and the more I thought about that over the years, the answer is absolutely not. I'm going to deal with the with the with the with the hand I've been dealt, 
Uh, because if if if, exactly. if if you take the opportunity to to put yours in the bowl and pull something else out, you may pull terminal cancer. Uh, you could pull incarcerated for the Come rest on, of your I life. Like that. You I could like that, you preacher. could pull you could pull sitting on death <laughs> row. I mean, you're giving me a message for Sunday. Yeah, it'll preach, man. <laughs> Trust me, it it'll preach. It'll man. preach. Yes, sir. But but I I don't think I don't think that most of us consider that. And so I take your point when you say you have no complaints. If you put it in that context, that you could. If given the opportunity, have to decide whether or not you really want to pull something out of this bowl. You don't know what you're going to come back with. So uh, uh, my, I'm thinking now, Bishop Sanders, of my friend uh, George Wallace, the, the brilliant comedian, uh, yes. <laughs> who, who said many years ago in his stand-up, he said, people always say things don't make any sense, including the following, the grass is greener on the other side. And George asked, have you ever turned grass over? <laughs> the, the, the grass ain't greener on the other side. Stop, stop. It's showing. It's not, man. So anyway, I take your point. I want to move on. I want to make the most of this hour. Let me, let me start again. We have an hour here, so I want you to just take time to tell the story. Um, you, you, you're from New York, a, a native New Yorker. I mentioned again moments ago, multiple incarcerations, the drugs, the stabbing, shot nine times, set on fire. Before I get to all that, which sounds like an amazing story, uh, just tell me about uh, about growing up in uh, in New York City. Yeah, um, yeah, I was uh, 1968 man, um, October 18. You know, I was born and raised. My father, uh, Fred and Esther Sanders, was born. In, I was born in Harlem Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my father, and mother, you know. They must have loved the Lord because it said be fruitful and multiply. So we got uh, five boys <laughs> and three girls. And so we grew up in the Big Apple, man. Um, I remember growing up in the 70s uh, as a little boy growing up in Harlem. Um, I, uh, we lived around the corner from um, the Apollo Theater. Oh, yeah. And I re- remember seeing names like um, uh, The Temptations, Diana Ross, Red Fox, Richard Price, and things of that. I'll never forget as a little boy, man. I always remember when I went to school, going back and forth to school uh, back in the 70s, um, it was like zombie land. I'll never forget. Um, it was, they were everywhere. Um, it was, what was it? Heroin. Heroin. It, it was crazy back then. I'll never forget how my mother was sending the three oldest boys to the store, man. You know, I don't, these pe- people here, they different. They got the food stamp card, but you remember the, uh, the food stamp paper, the ones was the brown, the tens was blue, the $5 was green. I don't know if y'all remember that or not, but she always sent us to the store, man. i never forget in Harlem how those junkies, man. They chased me and my brothers trying to uh, get that um, money from us mm-hmm. all the time. I never, I know, I would never forget those days. And um, I had to dip, and I was the fastest. They gave me the money because my mother uh, money came up missing, and we got home. We got our behinds tore up because mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have her food and her groceries. Um, growing up in Harlem, I never forget. Um, even when I first started going to school, I never seen a white person only on TV. Mm. And I went to school and I seen um a white woman, but I lived most of my childhood in Harlem, you yeah. know, along with my brothers and sisters. We were close like any other family. We fussed and fight, but we were always very, very, very close. Yeah. For years, we stayed in Harlem um, in a uh, two-bedroom. Remember, 10 people in a two-bedroom. Oh, yeah. I know. And, let, let, yeah. let me jump in right quick. I, I I know Harlem rather well. Spent a lot of time in New York. Um, love Harlem for lots of reasons. Uh, as you well know, it is gentrifying like nobody's business these days. But that's another conversation for another time. The gentrification exactly. in Harlem. We're experiencing that here in Lamert Park uh, in L.A. where this studio uh, station is is flagship. But let, let me let me let me ask you this question. I, I hear you sharing these stories. As you started talking, my mind immediately went 
to American Gangster, uh, the Denzel Washington film uh, about uh, right. the story of Frank Lucas. And everything that you just described, one can recall seeing scenes of that in the 70s in that movie. Sometimes we see scenes that aren't really true to life. Have you seen the film American Gangster? Yes, sir. So is is so it, it it sounds like it's pretty accurate depiction of what you were just describing about your life growing up in Harlem in the seventies. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. Exactly. Yeah, I, I can't I can't imagine as you just described uh, what's it like, what it is like, what was what what it was like. Um, just you know because you were the fastest, having the money, trying trying to race home to avoid all of these, you know, heroin addicts who were chasing y'all, trying to get y'all's money to buy more drugs. You're trying to outrun the heroin addicts and get home. And if you don't have your stuff, as you said, your mama's going to whip you up behind for not having it. What what, what was that? Right. How, how did that experience shape you? Man, it was, um, it was really, really difficult. You know, it was, um, I didn't understand. I was a little boy, but, uh, the, uh, drugs, the guys was taken. I understood like, you know, we, 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 we couldn't, uh, come home without my uh, mother grocery and all that stuff. But as a little boy, I was like, uh, I wouldn't say torment. It was really strange and unusual, like the way the guys wanted the money and, and, and to get high with it, you know, because I was young. I'm just like a little boy. I'm a kid. Mm -hmm. um, it was really, and sometimes they would catch my brother, one of my brothers. And so I would have to get as close as I can to the guy to let him to let my brother go. And when he let him go, we all took off running. Mm -hmm. It was really crazy. It was like every time we went to the store, man, it was like, it's going to be a chase. Yeah, no, Harlem. It was really crazy. No, Harlem was a crazy place then, and um, I, again, I, that movie American Gangster popped in my head because I, I could hear your description of it, and just uh, the illustration uh, was 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 vivid. When we come forward, uh, we will talk about how uh, a young David got pulled into this life of drugs that led to the stabbing and being shot and being set on fire. And all of that, uh, it's it's a it's a pretty remarkable story, given where he is today and what he's doing. I love again these transformative stories about the power of love. I say all the time on this program that we are who we are because somebody loved us, and somewhere along the way, uh, as we sang in my little church, uh, love lifted him. We'll get to that maybe later in this hour. Uh, looking forward to the rest of this conversation with David Sanders when we come forward on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. Our phone number one 1580 1-800-920-1580, the incomparable Bobby Womack. Uh, our guest in this hour is David Sanders. He is now Bishop David Sanders. He was a long way from Bishop back then uh, as he was growing up in Harlem across 110th Street. Uh, drugs, stabbed, shot nine times, set on fire a long way again uh, from the bishop that he would become. Uh, so, David Sanders, Bishop Sanders, take me back um, to how... Uh, you started out running from this drug culture, but end up getting pulled into it, sir. Okay. Well, after living in Harlem for years, um, you know, in a two-bedroom apartment, man, so many kids. My father and mother, we, they bought a house in Jamaica, Queens. Mm -hmm. And it was a major move of us coming out of Harlem to Queens. It was like heaven compared to Harlem. I'd never been in a house before. We, me and all the kids, we was amazed. Never heard of an upstairs or downstairs because, of course, everything in Harlem, for the majority, uh, is on the um, a level floor. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were saying, come and get to the basement. We were like, what is that? <laughs> and they said, come come out, come outside to the garage. We didn't know what that was. When we seen the garage, we thought 
it was another little house for the guys. Maybe the boys might be back there. My father had to explain to us, no, nah, this is a garage for <laughs> your tools and your car. And so it was, it was, man, it was a major move. And even from Harlem to Queens, getting up right before we moved to Columbus, um, man, we, my father and mother, you know, they, we went to church every day. So for the most part, we was hardcore church children. We'd be in church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, back then. Mm. And so as time went on, um, I was a freshman in uh, high school, in um, Springfield Gardens High School in um, Jamaica, Queens. And my father, one day, told everybody, um, uh, uh, you know, basically, pack your bags, Doc. We moving to Columbus. And we kept saying, what is that? You know, we had to uh, get the map out and um, look at it. And, man, when we found out we was moving to a city called Columbus, Ohio, me personally, I mean, I was mad, mad as hell itself. You know, I had my first girlfriend, uh, my dad taking us from this state to another state. Um, some of the kids was excited, but the oldest ones, you know, we uh, really didn't care for it. And so when we came to Columbus, I mean, I was really, I was really upset. I left my new girlfriend, old friends behind. Uh, I, I mean, I was really, I was really mad at my father for making this move, but we was young enough to where we had the respect to follow the leader. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember coming to Columbus um, when they enrolled us in school. It seemed like the devil. It seemed like, uh, like looking back at it now, it seemed like the devil wanted me at an early age. Um, I'll never forget how I would come to school and um, I would just fight. I'd be mad. I, I would just fight. I don't know what possessed me. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I cannot remember. But I would go to this store, this, this uh, supermarket called Big Bear, and I was still a fifth of Mad Dog, and I would drink it. And when I came to school, I was fighting everybody. Kept getting suspended. Um, then I hooked up with this guy, a good friend of mine. He's a minister today, so we talk about it. He's in my book I wrote. Everybody know him, Johnny Palmer. We we hooked up together, man, and we started um, selling crack in the city of Columbus. Mm. Um, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And... um we would start selling the crack, and I would sit in his house and sell it, and I would watch people like that was old enough to be my father, mother, or uncle, or big brother, big sister. I would watch how they would crave for it. They'd be on the floor looking for it. I used to say, my God, this stuff is powerful. And remind you, because I was a church boy, even though I was out there um, doing my thing, I always had a heart. Mm. So sometimes they'd be crawling on the floor looking for it. Man, I... I give them something. Man, get off the floor. Here you go. As time goes, man, I tried it one day. I, I tried it. Somebody said, I said, let me try it. i never forget. I took $25 worth of crack and I put it on a pipe. And these older people were showing me how to do it. The first hit I took back in the 80s, I'll never forget. Once I hit it, I felt invincible. I felt like a god. Mm. And at the same time, I felt like the devil in hell wanted to kill me. So what I did was, there was about 12 people in the house. I pulled my gun out and started shooting at everybody. That's how I was for the first time. And thank God, God must have gotten my wrist because I didn't hit nobody. And I'll never forget that day, man. And I'm, I ran out the house, ran like two miles on that stuff. And then I came back to my senses. And I came back to the house and I apologized to the lady and things of that nature. And um, I kept saying, oh, my God, I wanted some more of this. So as time went on, I kept um, selling it. 
but you didn't know that I smoked unless I asked somebody, let me see your glass, Sam. And I would, I would, I would smoke and start getting high. And as time went on, I couldn't supply myself no more. I couldn't like uh, manage what I was doing. So I started smoking the stuff the guy was fronting me. I was coming up short with his money, coming up with lies and excuses. Everybody found out I was smoking and getting high. Uh, I never forget, man. It was so embarrassing. I just left home. I just started just running the streets. Now, um, I started robbing. I started stealing um, petty stuff. I started kicking people uh, doors in, taking what I can get, jumping in cars. Um, in this city here is different from New York. Mm-hmm. I would go to a car. I would go to a car like this. All this to keep my habit going. And I would go get a car, test drive it. But while I'm test driving, I go get a key made. I come back. I only got that car because this guy want to buy it. All this stuff. I'm, 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 I'm going back and forth to jail. Petty death, robbery. Petty death, robbery. And um, not forget my father in church should die. I'm going to tell you now, we're going to have to get a black suit if you don't stop this. You're going to go to prison for a long time. Or somebody going to shoot and, ki- shoot and kill you. And i never forget that... Um, Right after he said that, a week later, I was doing, um, I was facing uh, 15 years in prison. They gave me five to 15. I did five years. I got out, tried to do the church thing again. Um, but still, I wasn't done. Went back out. I, I committed a robbery. And um, i never forget, uh, this girl gave this little kid a gun because she didn't want to do it. He shot at me nine times, and he hit me five times and um i don't know how i got away but i drove myself to the columbus fire department because um, i played basketball with the columbus fire department columbus police i'm six seven uh, 250 pounds and um i played with them and somewhere somehow god delivered me from that went back to church went right back out in the world of crime and sin again i wasn't done um committed some more robberies got shot again um Went to prison, got out. Uh, different gang bangers was looking for me, so I moved down to uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, um, Macon, Georgia. All these cities, eventually, um, you know, the dirty south is it's a different place, too, because I'm from New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down there. Guys would take me out in the woods um, because I would snatch their crack, and I'd just run or drive away, and they caught up with me. They Took me out in the woods, man. Can you imagine a guy, three guys taking you out, putting you in a car, uh, duct taping you, and one on the left, one on the right, and you in the middle, and they taking you out the, in the woods to kill you. That's why I tell people all the time, hey, I serve a God <laughs> that can do the impossible. When I told people it wasn't that I was lucky, you know, God was on my side, man. And um, never forget, they took me out in the woods, took the gun right to my head, like click, click. It just wouldn't go off. And um, I don't know how I came out of that stuff, Doc, but I took off. I was running. I understood when uh, Kuta Kente was in Roots. Mm. He, kept, so he kept running for his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he kept running for his life. When I took off, I got away from, I got a, got out and got away from that. Eventually, they caught, I got caught back up with me again. I got shot in the hospital. Um, came back to the city of Columbus. Um, said, I'm going to come to church and do what God, I believe, is calling me to do. Did some more robberies, went to prison, and so uh, I, I got back out. 
like I said, man, I'm done with this. I'm done. Committed another robbery. My last robbery I committed was in 2015. And so, as crazy as this may sound, when I went to prison in 2015, several years ago, um, they was trying to give me um, 15 years. Then they were trying to give me eight. They broke it down to five, and they gave me three. You know, he said, I won't put no more on you can bear. When they gave me 15 years back in 2015, the story of the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, I sat there, and um, I did some serious soul searching. I sat there, and I realized this was the best trip I took in my life when I went to, to the penitentiary. I said, God, I'm done. Sometimes God will put you in a place, man, where there's nobody but you and him. You can't, you can't call mama, grandmama, daddy, you can friends, family. And so it was like, it was a must need for me to be in prison in 2015. Hold that thought. Um, the must need for you to be in prison in 2015. Didn't want to interrupt. Want to get the story out. Uh, it is, as I told you, a remarkable story of all the recidivism. Uh, and again, the, the, the drugs and, and the being shot multiple times and, I mentioned earlier the stabbing and the set on fire, but now he finds himself in this place where he's about to come to himself. And when we come forward, we'll continue our conversation with Bishop David Sanders on KBLA Talk 15. I'm Tavis Smiley. That's Hezekiah Walker. Love lifted me. Our guest in this hour is uh, David Sanders, now Bishop David Sanders, uh, telling a pretty uh, remarkable story of his life of drugs and stabbing and being shot and being set on fire and being incarcerated multiple times to the work and witness he's engaged in today. I love, love, love these transformative stories uh, in our community. Uh, we'll get back to David Sanders, Bishop Sanders, in just a second here. Um, and the rest of the story, uh, in case you just tuned in, uh, we were at the point of his being incarcerated one last time, the final time in 2015, uh, before uh, love lifted him and he, he turned that corner. Before I get to that and the rest of the story, let me go back. Uh, Bishop Sanders, there were two things I didn't I didn't want to interrupt, but there are two things I wanted to ask um, early on as you were telling this story. Again, didn't want to get in the way of you uh, laying out the journey for us. But the first thing I want to ask is, uh, I've never, uh, you know, we all have our problems. Uh, mine has not been drugs. Thank God for Jesus. I've not had that issue. I've had it in my family. Right. <laughs> I had it in my right. family, but I've not had it. Um, but when you were selling drugs before you started doing drugs and you were telling us the story of watching these crack addicts in the floor, searching, looking, trying to find a rock in the floor. And you, you realize how powerful a thing this drug was. You saw, though, it had people acting really crazy. Uh, and yet you decided to try it. Why, after watching that behavior, did you decide to try it? What, what was that about? It seemed like, um, to me, I always look at things naturally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the devil said, well, I got him out here. But he ain't, I ain't got him deep enough where I want him. Mm. And it was like, I didn't want to, but then on the other hand, I wanted to. Mm. And um, as crazy as it sounds, uh, for me to see that. And I said, oh, I'd never do that. Mm. I tried it like a fool and I did exactly what they did and probably worse. Uh, what made me do it? I would have to say, um, instead of me obeying God, um, uh, to a certain degree, he didn't forget about me, but he just left me in the hands of the devil. Like, you don't want to serve me. Okay, go serve him. Do your thing. 
And it just seemed like the devil just, man, basically I let him take control. Yeah. And I gave in to him. Yeah. Uh, That's the only answer I can give you concerning that. No, it's 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 a straightforward answer. I appreciate the tr the transparency, uh, the 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 honesty. I, I was thinking as you were talking, my but after I asked the question, in fact, I said, "What made you do it?" My mind went to Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to love Flip Wilson. I say, say exactly. Say, fool, what kind of question is that? You know it. You know what made me do it. The devil made me do it. <laughs> Come on, doctor. Right. <laughs> so I I, I kind of answered my own question in my head when I asked, but it, it's it's. I got you. Yeah, but, I got you. But, but it, it, it's it's funny in this moment because you know you 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 got God brought you through it. But it's funny in this moment, and 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 we are all guilty of this. I am guilty as well. My issue has not been drugs, but we have all seen things that look insane, look crazy to us, and we say we would never do that. And I've learned, I've I've lived long enough now, Bishop Sanders, to say what I will never do. I've lived long enough to say on, what I wouldn't. And then let me let me just take a second here, because I I know there are people listening right now who will say. I would never do this. I would never do that. I never say that. I those words are out of my vocabulary. That sentence structure does not, you know, does not move past my lips. That I would never do this, never do that. And the reason is this. We are not human and divine. We're just human. And as long exactly. as you are human, you never ever know what state or condition you would find yourself in because it is that state or condition that you are in that dictates what you will do in that moment. And because none of us has any way of knowing what state or condition we'll ever find ourselves in, it, it's, it's, it, it is hubristic. It, 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 it's wanton hubris, quite frankly, to say what you would never do Unless and until you've been in that situation. So you say, I hope that I would never do. I can't see myself ever doing that. But to so boldly say, I would never do that. I would never do the other. I stopped saying that years ago because I realized that uh, of ourselves, oftentimes we don't have the power to resist. And that's what you were telling us uh, in that moment. You, you, you wanted to try it and you didn't want to try it. And I don't mean to preach, but uh, the Bible I read says when I would do good. Come on, doctor. <laughs> The, the, the evil is present, man. So I, I hear your point, brother, that you that you didn't want to do it, but but you got pulled into it. Now, watching my exactly. watching my time here, you left us uh, moments ago uh, with your being incarcerated uh, this one last time back in 2015, and you were teeing up the prodigal son story. So finish the story for me, Doc. Yes. Yeah, so 2015, man. Like I said, it was a must need. I went to uh, uh, the county jail. Um, I never went. I never forget when I was in the county jail. I um. I said, God, I just prayed. I said, Lord, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm so happy to be here because it was like it was like uh, the, the new beginning. Mm -hmm. It's like it's over with. A lot of people go to NAAA, different drug uh, treatments or what have you. That that seemed like it didn't work for me. I don't fight the the 12-step, but I know for me, I knew about the one step, mm -hmm. and that's my Lord and Savior. And, and so anyway, long story short, man, I went to prison 2015, and like the prodigal son, I don't mean to preach back to you, Dr. Bible said, like, he didn't really come to his senses until he started talking to himself. Yeah. And I sat there. Uh, you know, how many of my father servants you have, this, that, and other, and I'm, 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 I'm hungry. But anyway, um, I sat there. Man, I was talking to the Lord. Like, I've been set on fire. Man, they took some gas and, 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 and threw a stick to Newport on me. Mm. Um, Thrown in the back of cars. I said, God, I've been shot not one time. You have been the first time. You would have came to your senses and, and, and got, I had to go back out four more times to get it together. Mm. 
thrown in the backseat of them cars. So when I was in prison, man, I, I sat there, man, I talked to God. I said, God, I Father, thank you. Listen, while I was in prison, 2015, I did something totally different. I, 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 be, I just became a preacher right there. I said, God, I'm picking up uh, my mantle right here. And so um, right there, man, I started a victory deliverance missionary outreach church right there in the county jail. I took it to Pickaway Correctional Institution here in the city of Columbus, Ohio. And I'll never forget why I was incarcerated Some as, as years went on or months went on. Um, uh, the staff, sometimes uh, the, the, the sergeant or lieutenant will come get me. Say, man, I'm hearing about this prayer room you got. You praying with God and dealing with them. And it might be a situation they might have had. He would put one on the left, one on the right. He had me talk, and it seemed like as I opened my mouth, the Lord spoke for me, man. And uh, I, I defuse, God defused the situation. Different people would say, "Hey, man, I, I'm going up for parole. Can you pray for me?" This different guys, certain guys would come say, "Man, it's a look you got when you come out that door." Like I said, Doc, listen, I've been born again, man. He said, "You act like you're leaving to go home today." I said, "Nah, man, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm done with crack. This is it." And when I was in there, I told the Lord. I said, God, if I pick up that crack pipe again or go back to a life of crime, this is my vow I'm making with you. I'd rather drop dead and go straight to glory. And I meant that. And so while I was there in um, prison, uh, I took it um, from 2015 to 2000 and um, right about 19. Um, I had my church. I got out. I um, started pastoring from within my father's church. Mm -hmm. uh, me and my brother were sharing churches. He had his congregation. I had mine. Um, eventually, um, we stepped out, me and my congregation, and uh, we have another church. We have a church building. We share with, with other people mm -hmm. because uh, the city brought our property. Um, that's another whole story. Right. But as we speak right now, we are uh, ministering. We've been pastoring, uh, man, since we've been home. Um, just got installed, pastor last year in the convention. I'm bishop elect. Uh, I be my father be consecrate me bishop next year. I'm not trying to jump the gun. I tell people I'm just David. I'm not worried about the titles. <laughs> yeah. But I love the hand of the Lord that's upon me. How through my ministry, it ain't it ain't about me. I'm telling the people it's about God. And so what I do in my ministry, I deal with a lot of people that's on crack, drugs, um, and into homosexuality, lesbianism, what it, the list goes on. And so what I do, and I teach my people, we got to learn how to love these people right where they are. Because watch this, if God don't change them, you can't. Yeah. So stepping on them, dogging them, and, and putting them down, remember you had to pass too. And so God ain't sending me doctors and lawyers like he doing everybody else. Most of my people I deal with, and he gave me, got a mental or medical problem. And watch this. I love it yeah. because it seems like I'm the only one that can deal with them. I'm the only one that wants them. I'm the only one that will welcome them. So I tell them it's no big eyes and little you. We are all on the same plateau. And as I begin to minister to them and help them with their problem, they help me with my problems. Yeah. And so I want, um, go ahead, sir. No, no, I, I, I mean, to cut you off. I, I'm, I'm watching my time here. When we come forward, I, I, you mentioned your father uh, again. And when we come forward, I, I want to come to that issue. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've had this issue of drugs in my own family. And I was literally, literally talking to one of my brothers the other day who has gone through um, a story not quite as harrowing as yours. Um, my baby brother. Uh, there are 10 kids in my family, as many of you know, but my youngest brother has wrestled with this drug demon for years. Uh, and he's doing very, very well now. All these years later, doing quite well. And I, I, I watch uh, him and I see the reverence that he has for my parents. And I think he has that reverence 
um, uniquely different than all the rest of us because he feels bad uh, about the embarrassment, the humiliation, the drama he put them through. Uh, and I just watch um, the way he loves on my mom and my dad these days, given what he, uh, again, had them uh, go through. And I, I want to talk about that. Uh, your your parents and your father certainly has lived long enough to see you make this turn. And that must be a joy sublime. We'll talk about that when we come forward on KBLA Talk. Watching my time here, Bishop David Sanders. Um, let me ask straight away how um, you process, after all that you've endured, what you put your parents through, and your mother's still living as well? My mother went on to be with the Lord 2013. Yeah, I wanted to ask that question. I heard you mention your father. So let me talk about your father specifically. Um, well, let me let me start with your mother. So your mother uh, passed away in 2013. How do you process all these years later what your mother saw and did not see of your transformation before she passed in 2013 because your last incarceration was 2015. And then we'll talk about your father and how you process what your father, in, in, of course, has seen. So first your mother and then your father. I, my mother, um, right before she passed, I, 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 was, stra I was struggling and, and straggling the fence, if you will. Yeah. Um, Right before she wanted to be the Lord, I tried to make my debut back in the church, um, singing, playing, and preaching, and carrying on. And um, when right before and when she died, I picked up that again. Uh, more than anything, my mother, she prayed like never before. She just she just wouldn't stop praying for me. I believe I'm here today because of God first in her prayers. Mm -hmm. Mother Queen Esther Sanders, yes. I took my mother through so much. Um, but she wouldn't stop praying for me. Yeah, she wouldn't stop praying, and um, she can't see what my father see today. But I'm sure she's looking down from glory. Um, my father, he he was he used to be scared to be anywhere near me because remember when you see me, if I pulled up, it'd be bullet holes in my car. Mm. You knew the police was looking for me. You see me on the news. You knew these niggas in the hood was looking for me to shoot me and different things. They came to the church. They even dragged me out the church. The police came to the church. So. My father, he was a type like, um, he always looked at me like I was his gifted child, you know, sing, play the organ drums, preach, what all that stuff, play all the instruments. Mm -hmm. But he said he letting the devil use him. So my father, he didn't like to be around me or nor did he want me around him. He even asked me, can I stop coming to his church because of um, the danger that yeah. I brought? And um, so me and my father, man, I used to think he didn't love me, but I found out he just didn't like or love my ways. And... Um, as time goes on, as we speak now, um, even back to 18, 19, I begin, me and my father begin to reconcile us, uh, relationship, friendship, man. And um, as much as I couldn't keep my father, um, uh, be next to him, I can't keep him away from me now. <laughs> man, it's like, he, it's like he's so crazy about me. It's just like look, my father, 85, we yeah. just celebrated his birthday last month. Um, uh, lost my oldest brother, lost my mother. So all my brothers and sisters, we are extremely, extremely yeah. close. We're real close. And so my father, he's celebrating me like crazy. He always speaking prophetically in my, my life, that God going to do this, the Lord going to do that. It's one thing he want to see before he fall asleep, and that's me with my own church and me married. He said he believed in his heart that I reached a plateau to ask, I won't turn again. He said mm -hmm. he, 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 he received that. So that was just enough there for me. No, I, I, I can only imagine the joy uh, he must be experiencing right now uh, to see yeah. uh, the way things have turned out for you after all you have endured and to know that he gets the chance to, uh, to, uh, to be at your ordination and to be in charge of it. 
as you become a bishop um, in this organization. Our remaining moments. And by the way, I didn't I didn't know Bishop Sanders played the Hammond B three. Uh, you bad boy. You can you can you can you can you can work that you can work that B three man. I, I ain't mad at you. Uh, <laughs> hold, hold on, I'm sorry. I remain in moments when we come forward on KBLA Talk. Right now, right now, right now. I just got just a couple of minutes here. I, I was I heard you want to say something. I made that B three comment. What were you gonna say, Bishop Sanders? Yeah, 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 I play it. I'm, I might not be as good as you. I play, I play all the instruments. I'm the jack of all trades, master none. I play all the instruments, though, all of them. No, I, I couldn't do all. I just I did a little saxophone, a little piano. Uh, okay, but, okay. But, but my best friend growing up, my best friend growing up, he, we, he was Junebug then. We can't, his wife won't let him call, us June, call him Junebug no more. But his real name is Howard. Uh, I, I did the piano thing, but Howard did the, uh, the Hammond B3, and uh, I was always jealous of him that he could play that B3, and I couldn't. Uh, but I, 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 I ain't mad at him. Uh, let me close with this. Um, Mother's Day is this weekend. I heard you say uh, moments ago, as the uh, as the audience did, that uh, you believe that you are here because of the prayers of your precious mother. Uh, oh God, and yes. um, Mother's Day is this weekend, so I want to just uh, underscore that. And uh, black men love their mothers, and even when we're going through our own mess, uh, it is our mothers who look out for us, who pray for us, who hold us up, who support us. And so I know that's. Uh, uh, that that is meaningful and special to you. Uh, let me close with this. I've only got about 90 seconds, two minutes left in this hour. Um, what would you say to others listening right now who are either going through things themselves or have family members uh, who are going through things about the transformative power of love and what these personal narratives can do in the community? I would tell them, first and foremost, uh, don't give up. Don't mm. surrender. Don't succumb. Because a lot of people, you know, like, you know, the old folks say he may not come when you want him to. Sometimes you be praying for something and God might not grant it to you when you think he should. It might be 10 years. My mother prayed for almost 30 something years I was on crack. Mm. So I tell him, whatever you do, don't give up. Keep loving that person. You got to love them sometimes from a distance. Um, give them tough love sometimes. Don't give up and, 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 and put it in the master's hand. And I guarantee he will show up because I tell him all the time, I serve a God that can do whatever, whatever one have, whatever have one down, whatever one is up against, whatever one is going through. Whenever you get in the face of Jesus, the whatever will be no more. Mm. There you go. Yes, that's a, sir. That's a sermon. Uh, and, and I ain't mad at you preaching it. Um, his name uh, is uh, David Sanders, uh, more specifically uh, Bishop elect David Sanders. You heard earlier he doesn't care about the titles, uh, but he's earned it and he's doing a great work and a great witness. But mostly I wanted you to hear that story. Uh, about the love of his mother uh, and his father, of course, uh, and uh, he 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 answered the he answered the question the right way. Um, we never give up. We never ever give up on anybody in our family. Bishop Elect David Sanders, good to have you on this program, sir. All the best thank to you, you so in much. the coming months and years. I thank you for sharing your story, brother. Blessings to you and your family. Likewise, the same to you. Thank you, sir. That's our program for today. Uh, what a way to close it. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the best of Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. We yield now uh, to the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson, followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, and until tomorrow, and as always, keep the faith.